With October being the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, we've been focusing on some of the great themes that came out of the Reformation. First of all, we focused on Scripture alone, then last week on faith alone, and today we focus on grace alone. And for each of these themes, I've tried to give you a brief summary of what was going on back in the 1500s so that these themes became so important. And and today, as we focus on grace alone, uh, the context for this is very similar to last week as we focused on salvation by faith alone. Uh, Salvation by grace alone, the same types of things were going on. And to put it very simply, by the time that the 1500s came along, the Roman Catholic Church had begun to teach that salvation was something that you had to work for. It was something that you had to earn. And so in his early years, Martin Luther worked very hard because he believed that. He thought that he had to earn God's favor. He thought that if he was ever going to get into heaven, he had to work very hard and earn it. He was very concerned about his standing before God. And so he worked very, very hard. Now, I promised you last week that unless I forgot, I was going to give you some examples of of Martin Luther's attempts to earn God's favor. And I I did remember, and so I have uh, some things to share with you today. For one thing, Martin Luther became a monk in the Roman Catholic Church. There's kind of an interesting story uh, to how he ended up being a monk. He was traveling, and there was this incredible thunderstorm and lightning storm, and lightning strikes struck near him, and he thought he was going to die. And and he prayed, uh, St. Anne, if you save me, I'll become a monk. And so he did. But he was very troubled in his soul about his standing before God. And so he entered uh, a monastery then, uh, becoming a monk. And that meant then that he accepted a life of strictness. He he, he became part of a very strict order of monks. He, He was essentially accepting a life of poverty and begging for food, hard work. Many, many long hours in prayer at night. No marriage. Loneliness. And the list could go on and on. Those were the kinds of things he accepted in becoming a monk. And it was done in that day. It was, people became monks because they were convinced that this would bring them closer to God, that this would earn God's favor for them. There were other things in his life, too, that he did to attempt to earn God's favor. He, at one point, had an opportunity to travel to Rome, which, of course, would be, in terms of the Roman Catholic Church, that was the ultimate place to visit. That's where the Pope was and, and so much history there. And so he went. And to quote uh, Frederick Knoll, who wrote a biography on Luther, uh, he described some of the things that Luther did on this trip to Rome. He writes, Luther visited church after church, saying masses in them whenever he could. On hands and knees, he climbed the 28 steps that Jesus was supposed to have used when he was taken before Pilate. Okay, Of course, that happened in Jerusalem. And so the claim was made that those 28 steps were transported to Rome, and then people would climb up these steps on hands and knees, and, and it was believed that that would bring them closer to God. Okay, Luther did that when he was in Rome. Uh, to continue, he walked through the catacombs, and visited the graveyards of the saints. Luther saw, or thought he saw, many wonderful relics. Okay? 
a crucifix that had once spoken, the chain that held the Apostle Paul, the grave of the Samaritan woman whom Jesus met at the well, the rope used to drag Jesus to the cross, eleven thorns from Jesus' crown, a nail from his cross, the blood and water that flowed from his side, and some hair of the Virgin Mary. He also saw the stone that sealed Christ's grave, the rope that Judas used to hang himself, a few twigs from the burning bush of Moses, and one of 30 pieces of silver paid to Judas for a kiss. Most of you are probably thinking what I'm thinking. This is all made-up stuff. I guarantee you they didn't have some twigs from the burning bush of Moses. All right, I guarantee you they did not have the blood and water that flowed from Jesus' side when he was crucified, and that somehow 1,500 years later they still had that stored and people could come and, and, and see this. But Martin Luther was convinced, along with many other people, that these things were real, and that simply by going to observe them and, and come and see them, not from a tourist point of view, but from a, a concern for your own soul before God, you're standing before God, that coming to view these relics would earn uh, merit before God. They went and did these things because they were concerned for their soul, not because they were interested tourists. That's generally why we go view things today. We want to go see these places just because we think it's interesting to see some of these historical things. But Martin Luther and many others did this because they thought it would earn God's favor. And so Martin Luther went to Rome and he did all these things. But Martin Luther continued to have a guilty conscience. He continued to have no peace in his soul. And as he went to Rome and he experienced these things and did these things, as he began to hear some of the news of what was going on with the Pope and others and all these accusations and stuff, uh, he, he was wondering. He, he began to wonder, am I wrong about what I'm believing here? Is earning God's favor something that I can actually accomplish? It took a while, but years later, through his study of the Scripture, Martin Luther came to know the truth. He came to know that we are saved by faith, we're saved by grace. We're saved through Christ alone. And so today we focus on grace alone. We're saved by grace alone because that's what the scriptures clearly teach. So we're again talking about salvation today. And when you think about it, if you, if you teach the wrong thing about salvation, that's an enormous problem. And that's what Martin Luther came to realize as he studied the scripture and came to know the truth, he came to realize that he and countless others had been told a bunch of lies. That they were being told to try to earn God's favor, earn their way to heaven, and it doesn't work that way, it's not possible. They'd been told a lie, and that's an enormous problem. We must get salvation right. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, because that's what the scriptures declare. And that brings glory to God. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 are the verses we're going to focus on this morning. And I'm going to have, ask you to turn in your bulletin to the sermon outline, because I want us to read these two verses 
uh, together. So you'll find Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 printed in your bulletin. Let's uh, read them together. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. As we take a closer look at these verses this morning, we're really going to be guided by two questions. And the first question is, what is grace? If, it's, if it says that by grace you have been saved, then we need to know what grace actually is, right? What is grace if we're saved by grace? And to put it very simply, grace, broadly speaking, is the undeserved favor of God, okay? Or to put it differently, God giving you what you don't deserve. That's what grace is, broadly speaking. Now, if we're talking about salvation, then we're talking about God giving you the gift of salvation, something that you don't uh, deserve, something that you have not earned. It may be that many of you are familiar with the acronym for grace, and it's a good one. It goes like this. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And so that definition of grace, the acronym for grace, reminds us that Christ has done something for us so that God can give us what we don't deserve. Christ came and lived a perfect life, the kind of life that we could not live. He died on the cross to make the payment for our sins. He rose again from the dead in victory so that God can give us what we don't deserve, what we could never earn, what we absolutely need, and that is forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, heaven. There's all kinds of ways we can describe it. But Christ has come to provide for us that which we could never earn, something that we do not deserve. And notice then that as the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, he made it very clear again and again, that we are saved by grace. And notice, through faith. That was our focus last week. It is faith, this personal trust, that receives the grace of God that he extends to the sinner. Faith receives God's grace, or it connects us to God's grace. And so salvation, as Paul says in verse 9, or excuse me, at the end of verse 8, salvation is the gift of God. And a gift is not something that you deserve. A gift is not something that you have earned, or else it's not a gift. I was thinking about grace in connection with baptism this morning. Baptism of a little tyke, like Mesa this morning, is a great example of God's grace being extended. What has Mesa done to earn God's favor? Nothing. And yet through baptism, God has extended his grace to little Mesa. She came into this world needing salvation. She came into this world just like you and I, sinful and needing the salvation that Christ has provided for her. And as the scriptures declare, through baptism, God's grace is extended to us. Grace is the undeserved favor of God. The second question we want to ask today, we need to be able to answer, is why grace alone? That was one of the themes of the Reformation. Why? So why grace alone, if that's so important back in the 1500? It's important today. 
And the reason why grace alone is so important is, first of all, because we are born sinful, like I mentioned, and we are not good enough to save ourselves. Okay? That's true for me, it's true for you, it's, it's true for uh, the wonderful saint of a grandmother or grandfather you had. We are not good enough to save ourselves. We focused last week on Romans chapter 3. And in verse 23, we were reminded that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, some might be tempted to say, well, okay, yes, I, I will acknowledge that I've, I've disobeyed God, I've sinned, but I'm, I'm a whole lot better than my neighbor, okay? We like to compare ourselves to people who seem worse than us, and then we conclude that we should end up being okay, as if God grades on a curve. But we're reminded in James chapter 2, verse 10, that whoever keeps the whole law of God and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of it all. Okay? So even if, you, even if it was possible for you to only commit one sin in your entire lifetime, you are still in the same category as everyone else. You're a lawbreaker. You have disobeyed God, and since you have disobeyed God, you deserve the punishment that God will give. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, he has become guilty of all. And, and let's be honest, we can't even go one day without sinning. And that's true. We can't even go one day, let alone a lifetime, and only commit one sin. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, he has become guilty of all. And so we need grace alone because we are not good enough to save ourselves and we don't deserve salvation you know we live in a in a world where this you deserve it mentality is everywhere and this past week i was kind of listening to the radio and tv and, and kind of noticing all of the you deserve type of statements made within commercials okay or or talk radio okay and, and i made a list of some of these things you deserve a wrinkle-free face, okay? You deserve that, according to the commercial. You deserve a trip to Disney World. You deserve silky smooth hair, or this maybe applies more to men. You deserve a full head of hair, okay? You deserve that. Um, you deserve the best health care available at a fraction of the cost, okay? You deserve that, all right? You deserve a bigger house, a nicer car, a better paying job, higher quality education, and on and on and on. If you ever listen to the radio or watch TV, and I'm sure you do, listen for that. You deserve it, is what we hear over and over again. And people bring this you deserve it mentality into what they think about salvation. They think, I'll be just fine. If God exists and I stand before him someday, I'm sure that I'll be just fine because I've lived a pretty good life. And I'm certainly better than a lot of other people. God will let me into heaven. I deserve it. I've been a good person. I can only imagine how many people truly believe that. 
But all the people who believe that will have the worst day of their life when they stand before God and find out it doesn't work that way. Some people have that you-deserve-it mentality when it comes to salvation. Now, as we think about the importance of grace alone, on the one hand, you can have this I-deserve-it mentality. On the other hand, you can have a very different kind of attitude. Okay? I forgot to read the article in the bulletin. All right? We were going to do that this morning. I want to encourage you to do it. But at this point, I'm going to read... The last paragraph written by Dr. James Molstry as he focused on grace alone because he points out something that I think is also a very common thing. And he, and he, well, what he says is great. So listen carefully. He says, It is grace alone that gives us assurance of salvation. And perhaps you have struggled with that at some point in your life. He says, I have dealt with many parishioners who have struggled with whether or not they are truly born again. I have found that those who struggle with this issue tend to be those who have not understood grace alone. When asked why they are struggling with assurance of salvation, the, the answer often is, I'm not sure that I'm good enough. And this is great. My response, of course you're not. Of course you're not. That is the whole point of grace. We can never be good enough. God's grace is sufficient. Our comfort, our confidence is in God's grace alone. And Paul makes it so clear in Ephesians and in all of his other writings that we are not saved by obedience to God. We are not saved by the works of the law. We're not saved by doing a good enough job of following the Ten Commandments. We're saved by grace, by God giving us what we don't deserve. We're saved through faith as we have a personal trust that Christ has done all that is necessary for our salvation, that through him we have forgiveness. Grace alone. We're saved by grace alone. It is the gift of God. As we close, I want to read briefly from a book called The Grace of God, written by William McDonald, he says, imagine that you have been invited to a banquet at the White House by the President of the United States. You are seated at a table that is filled with the choicest of foods. Every effort is made to give you a most enjoyable evening. At the end of a lovely visit, the President stands at the front door and bids you goodbye. What do you do? As you leave, do you take a dime out of your pocket, press it into his hand and say, thank you very much for your kindness. I have enjoyed the evening very much. I realize that it has cost you a lot of money, and so I want to help you pay for the meal. Is that the proper response to his kindness? On the contrary, it is a rude and insulting gesture. And so it would be with God's grace. To seek to earn or purchase salvation is to insult the giver. It's like giving a dime to the president to pay for your wonderful evening. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you've given us the Bible, and that as we read our Bibles, the message of salvation is so clear, so plain for us to understand. Thank you, Lord, that you give to us freely that which we do not deserve and that which we could never earn. Thank you for that gift of salvation. I pray, Lord, that each one here today would acknowledge what they know to be true in their heart, that they have sinned against you and that they need your forgiveness. Lord, please work in us a a strong conviction of our need for Jesus and his salvation. And Lord, thank you for that invitation that you extend to us through the gospel to come and believe. Believe in Christ and be saved. Thank you, Lord, that Christ has done all that we need to be saved. And help us, Lord, then, to understand grace alone and to live that out each day. And Lord, would you be glorified as we walk in grace alone, as we celebrate grace alone. You are worthy of our praise. You are a good and merciful and gracious God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.